The reading for today, which is the second week of Advent, comes out of Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Eturia and Trachonotitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The word of the Lord. Well, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. I can remember a moment that happened not quite 20 years ago. I was actually talking with some of my junior high students very recently about when I got my first cell phone. I got my first cell phone when I was 24 years old. So this particular moment that I'm remembering is not quite 20 years ago, but it's somewhere in that range. In this particular moment, I was driving between my old home stomping grounds around the Okaboji area, kind of up in the northern part of the state of Iowa, and I was heading towards the Des Moines area or Ames. Now Ames, side note, I went to college there, but this was definitely after college. I can't tell you why I was going there. I don't remember why, but I remember in this particular moment, I was on my cell phone talking to somebody. And again, the person doesn't matter. I just remember I was on the cell phone. And there was this one little route that I always took as I was going between those two areas. There was this little back road, this little black top that I would come off of the main highway and I would take this roughly 20 mile, not even a detour, just kind of off the main drag. And I did that to avoid a rather large community that would slow me down if I had to drive through it. And in this particular instance, as I'm talking on the cell phone, I turned off of that main highway to take this little 20 mile jaunt and I hadn't gone very far when all of a sudden my phone cut out. I lost the call. I had hit a dead zone and I didn't have cell coverage anymore. And I didn't get it back until roughly 20, 25 minutes later when I got back to the main highway and I hit cell coverage again. Now, this type of problem was very prevalent at that time. Cell coverage was not nearly as good as it was as it is now today. And even though, yes, we still experience dead zones every once in a while, it was far more prominent 20 years ago than it is now. Now, it's funny because it's not like I was that far away from civilization during this moment. I was, yes, driving out through the, 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 the countryside of, of rural Iowa, but it's not like I was a thousand miles from anything. But this idea was I was disconnected. I was out away from civilization. I was out in the wilderness, you might even say. That idea is where we're connecting in today when we hear about John the Baptist, the voice crying in the wilderness. Before we really get into that, we gotta know who is this John guy? 
And why is he important? And why did we hear all those various names that were dropped? We hear about the emperor of Rome. We hear about the governor of, of one area. We hear about these people called rulers or tetrarchs, they're called sometimes, which is a really interesting thing. But it's all these like big wig political people. And then we hear about the high priests of, of that time, who were these two individuals who were very important within the Jewish culture at that time. And then we hear about this rando guy named John, son of Zechariah, and how he's out in the wilderness and the word of God comes to him. Why him? Why now? What's going on here? Well, folks, here's the deal. John was probably known in some circles anyway as either the last prophet or the first prophet in a really long time. Now, who are the prophets? Well, if we look back through Jewish history, through the history that we have in the scriptures, we hear about these various individuals known as prophets. And they were active at many different times throughout the course of that long, 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 centuries-long history. And they were bringing a voice, or the word of God, a message from God to the people. Now, sometimes these prophets had messages of hope for the people when they were in the midst of turmoil. Sometimes they had messages of rebuke or warning if the people were causing some issues of their own and were not walking the paths that they should be. And sometimes these messages from God, this, this word from God, was sort of a mix of both of them all wrapped up into one. The thing about these prophets, though, as we think about them, they've been pretty quiet for a while by this point. As we look back through our history, the word of the Lord, a prophetic voice, had not really come to the people for about 400 years in the time of transition between what we would call the Old Testament, or sometimes we call it the Hebrew Scriptures, and the New Testament, or the Gospel-type period. So no word of the Lord for like 400 years. It's been pretty quiet. God hasn't said much. But prior to that, we've had all these different individuals from countless different backgrounds and countless different situations who are always bringing this voice of God. One of which we even hear about today and has referenced the prophet Isaiah. Now what's interesting is how this cycle kind of goes around and that message that we hear, either rebuke or message of hope, or either or both of them mixed in together, we kind of see it over and over and over again. And even though the messages themselves or the, the, the situations themselves might be different, it seems to always fall in this same type of thing. Now, Isaiah, during this, certain, this short little point that we have referenced within our scripture lesson for today, this was written about 650 years before Jesus was around, roughly. Scholars have dated it kind of into that period. And during that period, the people of Israel or the people of Judah or the people of the Holy Land, whatever we want to call them, they were in a period of exile. At that time, the superpower of the day was the Babylonian Empire. And Babylon had come in and completely taken over everything and hauled the people off into exile. And they were in exile for like three generations. So there was this long period of time when they were living, not necessarily in the wilderness, but they were in exile. They were not at home. They were not in their place of their culture and, and the place where they desired to be. And they're living amongst other types of cultures and they're having to navigate all of that. And it was a hard, hard, hard time. And in that time, Isaiah brings this word of hope to the people that they will be brought back, that God will be faithful to the promise to bring them back again, that this time of exile, this time in this metaphorical wilderness will come to a close. That's what's going on in that message. 
Again, we hear that same sort of message for a long time from various individuals, and then there's this window when there's not much going on from a prophetic voice, and now, all of a sudden, the word of God comes to John, this rando guy out there around the Jordan River, out there literally in the wilderness around the Jordan River, and he brings this word of God. He brings this ministry. He brings this new message, and he's attracting a follower. Now, John himself is an interesting character in every sense of the word. We don't have a ton of information about him, but as we look at the various different gospels, and he's present in all four gospels, meaning he's kind of an important guy, we do hear some things about him. Now, in the first couple of chapters of Luke's gospel, before we pick up today, we actually hear John compared with Jesus in many ways. The, the announcement of the birth of both of them, they're actually relatives, which is interesting, but we have this comparison between the two, both before and then at the time of their birth. And then we fast forward to this moment, and we can sort of piece together a little bit about who is this John guy. His father was a priest who served in the temple, so he's actually got a little bit of pedigree, which is interesting, but he's still this random guy who's out there in the middle of nowhere. He's described in certain points as being a Nazarite, and a Nazarite is a person who set, uh, set aside specifically for God. And because of that, one of the things that he has to do, a rule he has to follow, is to never cut his hair or beard. And so in movies that I've seen of this, I've seen the guy depicted with this great big mane of hair and this huge bushy beard. I don't know if that's actually accurate or not, but we hear that description of it. We hear that he wears clothes of camel's hair, which, folks, that's a little bit weird. I can't imagine that's the height of fashion and super comfortable, but that's what he wears. His diet is strange. He eats locusts dipped in wild honey, and maybe that is nutritional value that I'm unaware of, but it doesn't sound real appealing. But anyway, he's this random guy, and his message seems to be very, very fiery, and yet also he's bringing this message of of uh, harmony and how to live in harmony with one another, which I can't help but think does sort of sound like what we'll hear from Jesus later on. And all of that is important because it's all pointing towards the coming Messiah. John is, is bringing in crowds. He's attracting a following. Some people like what he has to say. Some people really don't like what he has to say. Usually the ones that he's singling out and kind of giving a, a, a message of rebuke to, which incidentally we'll hear about next week. But he's got this big, 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 big following and all of these people are, are following him, and they wonder if maybe, just maybe, this new voice from God, this new prophet, might just be the long-awaited Messiah. Well, John knows better. He knows who he is, and he also knows who he isn't, and he is always pointing out how there is one who's coming after me who's greater than I am. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. I do this. He will do greater things than that. And again, this is a message for next week that we'll hear about, so hey, tune in again next week. But John says, no, this is something different. And throughout this whole time, he's bringing forth this message of repentance to the forgiveness of sins. Well, I really appreciate this message that John brings and the idea of repentance. Now, repentance in itself, usually we get a lot of like really churchy connotations with it. We think about, oh, I have to repent because I'm a bad person. Well, yeah, but the more idea, the basic idea of repentance is that you turn back to or you turn away from. And in this idea that John is calling us to is to turn away from that which is hinders, that which is broken, and turn back to the one who made us and loves us and is calling us all together in the first place. Now again, this call to come away from and back to God, it's not new. 
This is what the prophets were constantly talking about over and over and over and over again throughout the course of the prophetic history. John is bringing the, new th the, the, the same thing, and he's bringing in a ritual that we tend to think of as one that he originated. Baptism. It's right there in his name, right? John the Baptist. But this is another idea that's actually quite old that's being utilized in a new way. It's God taking this old thing and making it new. Now, the idea of baptism comes from the rite of purification. When you would go out to war and you took the spoils of war, you had to purify it before you could use it. If it was something that could hold up to fire, you passed it through fire. If it was something that would not hold up to fire, you passed it through water to ritually purify it. Well, folks, flesh doesn't hold up really well to fire, so we use water. This was a practice that was very, very common. It was very ritualistic. And in fact, in the ritual of an individual, an outsider becoming Jewish, joining the Jewish culture, it was something that they would do too, not unlike our rite of baptism now. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying they're the same thing, but there's some similarities within them. And John is utilizing this. But John is also reminding us through this call to repentance through baptism, he's also reminding us that he's doing something really simple. The one who is to come is going to do something vastly more powerful. And we see that too. And we remember that too. But throughout all of this, through all of this that's going on, I find myself wondering, okay, so what's the takeaway? We actually don't have a whole lot of narration in this one. We basically get a bunch of names and we hear that the word of the Lord comes to John the Baptist. And then we hear this snippet of Isaiah that's kind of talking about John's situation just a little bit. And I find myself wondering, well, what do we do with that? And maybe the idea is to remember the one who's ultimately doing the action. This call to repentance, remember, to turn back to, well, turn back to who? To turn back to God. And in this snippet from Isaiah, that talks about John, we hear about how the valleys will be brought up, the hills and the mountains will be brought low, the crooked will be made straight. And in all of these statements, it's always passive action. Someone or something else is doing this. The hills are not going to bring themselves down. The valleys are not going to fill themselves up. Their crooked roads are not going to straighten themselves. Someone or something else is doing it. And I believe we find the answer to who that is when we remember that all flesh shall see the salvation of who? Of God. God is the one who is taking action in all of this. And that is what is ultimately being accomplished, what is ultimately made possible when we remember that we have a God who will remove every obstacle that stands in the way of the harmony that lies between us and God and between one another. And God, I believe, accomplished that through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we are looking forward to even if it is something that exists in the past tense for us. And now there's that weird, strange tension there, right? As we remember something that's already happened and we, yet, we still look forward to it, and in doing so, we also remember the promise that Jesus himself made that he has come once and he has somehow removed the hindrance, even the ones that are caused by death. And he's overcome those boundaries, those hurdles, those things that hinder that make it possible to come back to God. And then it will ultimately be fulfilled one day out in the unknown future that we have not yet reached. And we wait with anticipation for that. And perhaps, maybe, just maybe, that's our call today to remember that this has happened and that this has happened on your behalf. 
It is for you and for all of the world. It's for all of us. Because God loves all of us so much and desires to be with us and that it will one day ultimately come to complete fruition even in those times when it doesn't feel like it. And so right here, right now, we too are called to remember the promises that are made for us and to live our lives right now in a way that reflects that harmony. And when we fail, and when we do, we do. We definitely do. When we do, we repent and we turn back to it again, knowing that the forgiveness and grace and mercy of God is already offered to us through Jesus.